Well, good morning, everybody. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Yeah, what a... Gathering together is a privilege, and I admit I used to take this for, for granted, and no longer. The fact that we can gather together uh, physically and, and virtually, for those of you that need to, is a, is a really um, great privilege that we can gather in Jesus' name. I'm told we have a higher than usual number of people joining us from Florida this morning. And uh, to our Florida congregation, in no way would I want you to interpret our jealousy and envy as anything, but welcome uh, to those of you who've joined us from around uh, the world. We've been in a series together this month called The Art of Desperation, and we've been looking at some of the desperate prayers of the Bible. And when I say desperate prayers, I do not mean those kind of prayers that you pray when you're looking for a parking spot at Costco or when you're walking into that final exam, that's one level of desperation. But we've been talking about a deeper level of desperation, like when you realize that you really need God. When you recognize the illusion of self-sufficiency. When your eyes are awakened and you see things as they actually are. Now, you're probably, um, there, there are lots of examples, by the way, of, of desperate prayers in the Bible, and we've looked at a bunch of them in this series, but today we're going to look at a desperate prayer uttered by Jesus Christ himself, and how his prayer is foundational to life in the kingdom. Now, you're probably not surprised in church to hear that Jesus is the model for how to pray. If you've logged any time in any church, uh, you know that Jesus is our model for everything, how to pray, how to live, how to love, how to relate, how to grieve, uh, how to teach. But you might be surprised to hear the word desperate laid alongside the name of Jesus. How, how could Jesus be desperate? Jesus is God. God has no need for anything. But remember that while Jesus was fully God, he was also fully human. And he continually... Uh, deferred to, submitted to, depended upon his heavenly Father. In our text today, Jesus gives us a, an example of a very specific kind of desperate prayer that we might call a prayer of surrender. And that word surrender may be the best single word description of life in the kingdom that Jesus described. And our scripture reading today comes from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. And this is the scene right before the arrest and crucifixion of Jesus. And reading our scripture this morning is Katie Pete. Katie's our part-time middle school director. Katie works with all of our students, all of our teenagers, but her specialty is grades 6, 7, and 8. Uh, I feel like we should pray for you this morning, Katie. Um, <laughs> but as Katie comes to read our scripture, would you stand in preparation to receive uh, God's word for us today. Thank you, Scott. All right. Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Jessamine, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Debedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell to his, with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. 
Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's thank Katie for her work with middle school students in our church and all. Thank you, yeah. Uh, Gethsemane is the name of a little grove of olive trees just outside the city of Jerusalem, located at the Mount, uh, on the base of the Mount of Olives. And that word Gethsemane literally means olive press. They would grow these olives and then they would press them with a massive stone, a millstone, to squeeze the olive oil out of them. And Jesus liked to go to this particular place to pray. Jesus and his disciples had just finished a meal which would eventually become known as the Last Supper. In a matter of hours, Jesus will hang on a cross. And Jesus knows that his end is near. And Jesus knows that his disciples are all going to fall away, even though they have pledged themselves not to. After supper, they exit the city and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus had some serious praying to do. And you know how sometimes when you're in crisis, you want to be with some friends. And sometimes when you're in crisis, you want to be all alone, just you and God. And Jesus does both. He goes to the garden with his friends, with his disciples. He has them sit down and he goes into the garden a little deeper. Uh, The text says that he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And for Jesus, this was a very unusual disposition, but this is a very unusual moment. Jesus is troubled not because he's afraid to die, but because the full weight of separation and divine wrath was about to be poured out upon him. Jesus is feeling pressed like an olive under a massive stone. He's being crushed, being squeezed. So notice what Jesus does. He talks to his friends and he talks to his father. He talks to his friends, and then he talks to his father. He takes Peter, James, and John, his closest friends, with him a little deeper into the garden, and then uh, the text says that he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Imagine a grief so deep that it's lethal. Imagine a weight so heavy that it would cause our Lord to sweat blood. Imagine a a, a weight, a despair uh, so heavy that it would cause our Satan-defying, water-walking, miracle-working Lord to plead for companionship and prayer. You and I will never know a weight that heavy. And Jesus is very honest with his friends. He says to them, my soul is overwhelmed. And I don't know, do 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 you think this made them lose faith in Jesus? But the disciples say, Jesus, how, how, how could your soul be overwhelmed? You're the Messiah. You're, you're not exactly instilling confidence here. And I don't think that was the case. I think this was a tender, honest exchange between Jesus and his closest friends. Jesus talks to his friends, and then he talks 
to his heavenly Father. He tells Peter, James, and John to stay alert, and he goes in even deeper to pray, and Jesus is going to pray this one line that in a single line would model all that Jesus has taught them these previous years. This may be the richest, deepest, purest prayer that anyone can pray. And this is it. My Father, Jesus said, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. That's part one of this prayer. And then read part two aloud with me. Jesus said, yet not as I will, but as you will. Take this cup from me. That cup is a symbol of the divine wrath and separation that Jesus is about to incur incur on himself. And Jesus says, God, is there another way to accomplish your purpose? Is there another way, Father, to, to bring about the salvation of humanity? Is there a plan B? Anybody ever ask God that? Is there a plan B? Because if there is, I'd vote for that. I, I, I'd, I'd want to do that. But, Jesus says, part two, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus said, I will surrender my plan, my wants, my wishes to you. I trust you. And this is a great model for a prayer for every one of us when we come to our own Gethsemane. First, we, we pray what we want. We pray our desires. We confess our apprehensions. May this cup pass from me, part one. And then we go to part two, but, but Father, I trust in you. Not my will, but your will. I submit to your way. I lay myself down. This is the Christian life. This is what people in the kingdom do. Jesus returns to find his disciples asleep. He says, can't you even stay awake with me one hour? And then he says this very famous line, the spirit is willing, but what? The flesh is weak. Have you ever heard this line? Have you ever used this line? It's used all the time, you know, invoked during uh, exercise or diet or anything that tempts us. We have great intentions, but we fail, right? Jesus is not the only one being tested in the garden that day. The disciples are being tested, and they're not doing so well. And Jesus said to them, guys, this is a time of great temptation. Stay alert. Stay awake. Stay in prayer. I've only been gone for an hour. You couldn't stay awake, awake one hour? Now, uh, to cut the disciples some slack, uh, an hour is, you know, it is a long time. Uh, most church services are about an hour, and people fall asleep in church services all the time. Um, how many? I saw an estimate that, that if you could take all the people who sleep in church in the United States and lay them down end to end, that they would be a lot more comfortable. Yeah, and why did it take Jesus an hour to pray this prayer? It's only two sentences long. It took him an hour. It's possible the prayer was much longer than what actually got recorded. But I think mostly it just takes a long time to pray, not as I will, but as you will. That kind of prayer may not take a lot of words, but it always takes a lot of struggle. Nobody gets to surrender quickly and easily. Jesus goes back after an hour and he prays a second time and he actually prays a third time, a very similar prayer. Uh, it says he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. 
This may remind you of another place where Jesus is teaching about prayer and he teaches the Lord's Prayer and he teaches his disciples and us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus taught them this in the Lord's Prayer and now he models it here in Gethsemane because each one of us comes to Gethsemane in our own time and place. So this is our prayer of the week your will be done. That's the prayer of the week. Your will be done. Not my will, but your will. Not my way, but your way. That's the prayer we're inviting everyone to pray all week long, all throughout the day. Pray it when you're with your spouse. Not my will. Pray it when you're at work. Not my will, but the will of our Father in heaven. Your will be done. That's the prayer of the week. And even Jesus himself had to pray this prayer. Jesus emptied himself of his privilege and filled himself with his father's will. Theologians sometimes refer to this as the doctrine of kenosis. This will be our theological word of the day. Kenosis is a Greek word. It means self-emptying. Jesus had to empty himself of his will, fill himself with his father's will. He had to empty himself of all the perks and privileges of the Godhead and fill himself with humility. And this idea of kenosis comes primarily from this passage in Philippians where it talks about Jesus and it says, uh, Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. And this word emptied is the Greek word kenosis or canoe. He emptied himself. Now it doesn't actually say what Jesus emptied himself of, so we're going to be careful not to say more than the Bible says. People have sometimes wrongly interpreted kenosis as that what Jesus emptied himself of was his divinity and that he became only human. But that's not what this says. In fact, we know Jesus retained his divine attributes when he calmed the storm, when he walked on water, when he performed miracles. There was no point that the Son of God ceased being God. He was fully God and fully human. What The best interpretation here, I think, is that he emptied himself of the divine privileges and took on the, the form of a servant. He chose to be a servant. He chose to be a learner. He chose to humble himself. He traded independence with dependence. He laid down his will to the will of the first person of the Trinity. This is the prayer of Gethsemane. Now in our day, we, hear, we see the word surrender and we think surrender is a weak act for weak people. But the great discovery of spiritual life as seen by Jesus and Paul and by countless of people through the centuries is that surrender is the pathway to power. Surrender is the pathway to strength. And I have seen this in my own life. There have been times where I wanted to snap in anger or withhold in apathy or, or, or practice my personal spiritual gift of, of pouting when I hear this little voice that says, not that way, not that will. There's another way. There is another will. We make this decision to turn our will and our way over to the care of God. And of course, our egos will have lots of reasons for us not to do that. Don't surrender yourself over to God, our ego says to ourselves. 
I may have to give up the things that I think really make me happy. I may have to give up the money or the power or the sex or the, the, the privilege, the prestige, anything I think might make me happy. You know, we think if I did that, if I surrendered to God, God would probably make me a monk or a nun or a missionary or a pastor or something really awful. I'd be unable to think for myself anymore. I'd be a doormat for people to take advantage of. Uh, I'd be weak and dependent in my personality. But actually, it works the other way around. If I'm dependent upon God, I'm no longer dependent on money for my security. I'm not dependent on attractiveness for my worth. I'm not dependent on circumstances for my peace. I'm not dependent on my children's lives for my well-being. Anybody want to say amen to that one? I'm not dependent on your approval for my confidence. The more I depend on God, the more independent I actually become in real life. And let's take that deeper. Another place Jesus taught uh, famously, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And people wonder that surrendering, that picking up the cross, is that a one-time deal? Is it a once and for all kind of surrender? Well, there has to be a once. Uh, nobody slides to surrender. There has to be a conscious decision of the will to surrender. But after that, it's surrendering all the time. Because here's the truth about my will. I, I surrender it, and then I take it back. I surrender, and then I take it back. I surrender my will, God, you've got everything, and then I take it back. I have these moments of great surrender where I pray these genuine prayers that I feel. I say, God, take it all. My money, my relationships, my family, my time, I surrender all to you. God, your will be done. And then I actually get kind of impressed by how well I just did it surrendering everything. And then my wife comes in and said, do you take out the trash yet? And I'm like, honey, I'm, I'm surrendering everything. And you're kind of interrupting me. <laughs> God, I said, your will be done, not, not her way will be done. See, I think I've surrendered. I think I've surrendered my time until somebody wants it. I think I've surrendered my money until somebody needs it. I think I've surrendered my circumstances until they don't suit me. I think I've surrendered my will until it's crossed. Not my will, but your will. Not my way, but your way. I will never get finished exploring this great prayer. And the great thing about this prayer is it will never cease to help you. It will never cease to energize you. It will never cease to help you step out of the kingdom of this world into the kingdom that Jesus described. This is a great prayer. This is the prayer of our week. Not long ago, when a company wanted to terminate an employee, they would give to that employee a pink slip. And we called it a pink slip because it was literally printed on a pink piece of paper. And sometimes it was handed to the employee. Sometimes it was just, it was just put in the envelope with their paycheck, no words spoken. That's the way this was done in the 1900s. Now today, we don't use physical pink slips. Uh, in fact, we don't really use paper much anymore. Uh, some of the youngest people in the room, you may have never seen paper. It was this substance upon which we wrote things. It was kind of a primitive form of communication. Um, we don't use pink slips anymore, but sometimes our language, we still will hear somebody say, I got pink slipped. I got a pink slip. 
on your way into the sanctuary today or on your way out of the sanctuary today, uh, you will receive a pink slip. Okay, uh, they, these were on the table out there, and if you didn't get one on the way in, pick one up on the way out. Pick up your pink slip. Uh, don't worry, I am not firing you. I'm asking you to take this home and fire yourself today. Fire yourself from being in control of everything because let's be honest, you weren't doing so hot anyway. If you have one in your hands right now, uh, read it with, uh, look at it with me. And if you didn't get one, you can get one your way out. I think we have a way for you to get one online too for those of you watching online. Notice of termination, it says. Today I, and you put your name in that slot, today I, I'm going to write Scott McKee, acknowledge that I am no longer the boss of my life. I have surrendered all rights and responsibilities of lordship to another. I get to enjoy the benefits of living under the rule of an all-wise, all-powerful king and being the citizen of an unshakable kingdom. I am fired. And you sign your name and date this form and you use this as a reminder of your efforts to surrender your will to God's will your way to God's way. Let this pink slip bring you peace because you are no longer the boss of the universe. You don't carry that on your shoulders anymore. Every time you see your pink slip, remember there is another one who is in control and it's not you. And you can rest in his sovereign care. Even Jesus had to do a form of this. This is kind of troubling. I've been thinking a lot about this, about Jesus at Gethsemane and about the mystery of the Trinity. Why did Jesus have to say, not my will, but your will? Aren't their wills the same? Yes, throughout all eternity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are one God, one will, and now somehow in the miracle and mystery of the incarnation, Jesus takes up humanity. And could the pain of the garden in part be because the first time in all of eternity, Jesus knows what it is to have his own will, a human will, to have a will that has to be laid down to the will of the Father. He's got to make a choice, my will or God's will. Now, for some of you, this will make you very uncomfortable to think of Jesus this way, but for me, this is life-giving to know that Jesus experienced everything that I do because this is the human situation to know what is good, to know what God's will is, and to not want it and to have to decide my will or God's will. And Jesus made his stand not my will, but the will of my Father. Now, in Luke's gospel, there's another line here that's added right afterwards. Right after Jesus says, not my will, but your will, Luke's gospel, the next line is, that an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Jesus surrenders his will to the Father, and an angel shows up to strengthen Jesus. And I, and I believe that angel uh, is still on duty and that he makes house calls. And that he's going to come to some of you today, this week. Now, maybe you're not at Gethsemane right now. Maybe your life has moved on, and you're at all Easter all the time. For you right now, it's, it's, it's resurrection and life and celebration and joy. And if that's where you are, praise God, enjoy that. 
Some of you aren't at Easter yet. You're, at, you're, at, you're on Friday. And it's darkness and death and a cross and a tomb. And I know for a fact that some of you are, are facing some really unbelievable challenges right now. And you are waiting and hoping for resurrection. But I have the feeling that a lot of us right now are at Gethsemane. We're at a decision point. Will we stubbornly pursue our own will or will we lay it down? Will we surrender? We're at a crossroads and it feels like there's a lot at stake for us and for our world. I want to give you a chance to surrender today. And maybe you've never deliberately turned your will and your way over to God. And I can tell you it's a wonderful, joyful, frightening experience. Not unlike getting married. Angie and I are coming up on our 30th wedding anniversary. Just a, just a few months. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, uh, it's five months away, but I think we're going to make it. 30 years ago, we stood in front of a church, and the minister turned to me and said, do you take this woman to be your wife? And I said, I do. And I said it really loud and enthusiastic like that, and the whole congregation kind of laughed at, at my enthusiasm. And then the minister turned to Angie and said, do you take this man to be your husband? And I remember there being a long, uncomfortable pause. And then she said, okay. No, she, 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 said, she said, I do. And the question I want to ask you today is, do you take this man, Jesus, to be your shepherd and your guide, your savior, your Lord, your boss? Do you? And if not Jesus, then who? I'd like to ask you to bow and, and close your eyes for a moment here. If you've never done this before, I invite you to pray this prayer. God, I need you. I, I can't save my own life. I cannot transform myself, but God, you can do that. You can forgive my sin through what Jesus did on the cross. You can enter into my mind and my thoughts and my wants and my desires and transform me. You can guide me by your spirit. You can make me into a new person. And God, I invite you to do that. Today I turn my will and my way and my life over to you. Just keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment. If you've made that decision for the first time, I'd like to pray for you. And you can let me know just by shooting your hand up in the air quickly um, so I can see you and just pray for you quietly. Thank you. Just put your hand in the air if you've made that kind of decision today. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, God, we do pray for this powerful prayer that we've reviewed today. Not my will, but your will. Not my way, but your way. And we're each at a different place of understanding the power of that prayer. And I pray you would give us the courage to fire ourselves as the boss of the universe, that there will be an emptying of ourself and a filling up with you. God, thank you that you are a God who can be trusted. And this we pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And everybody said, amen.
Amen. Now, if you're not ready for a, a, a decision like that, that's okay. Um, keep showing up. Keep learning. Stay open. Uh, maybe you've made some kind of decision a long time ago, but you need kind of a fresh surrender. This is true for a lot of us, and maybe it's a specific area of your life, finances or relationships or something. And uh, I want to encourage you, you have an opportunity to surrender six weeks uh, to God. Starting next week, we start this relationship series, and we have these groups, and we're really going to get into how to model the kingdom life in our relationships. Make it a six-week surrender. Until then, this week, pray the prayer of the week. Your will be done. Not my will, but your will. I'm going to ask you to pray it in the morning when you get up. Pray it at night when you go to bed. Pray it when you're agitated. Pray it when you're doubtful. Pray it when you're stressed out. Pray it when you're confused. Your will be done. Not my will, but your will. And we're going to make this week an experiment in surrender. Will you please stand to your feet? We're going to close uh, today's service by praying aloud together the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. May the God of grace and peace and power be yours this week. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless you.